But I want to be here with you guys. And I want to be thankful, like Pastor David shared with us last week, which is such a powerful message about being thankful in all things, in all circumstances, because the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And then I want to live a supernatural life that Pastor Carl had talked about was, you know, a life that is lived by faith, that doesn't live based on what the circumstances say or what the Philistine giants are saying, you know. And after those two messages in particular, I felt like I had spent a lot of time recently meditating on those and just examining my own heart, how I fit into that and what, how, how is that on display in my own life, you know, and how can I grow in that way? And this is good. This is good for us to examine ourselves, to not just hear a word like the Bible talks about. Don't just hear the word of God and then not do it. It's like looking at yourself in the mirror, turning away and forgetting what you look like. What was the point of that? You should have never looked in the mirror to begin with if you, don't, if you have no recollection of what you looked like when you looked in the mirror. And so we don't want to take, you know, these opportunities of hearing God's word, you know, and not taking advantage of the opportunity of how can I apply this to my life? How does my life stack up against this truth that's being shared, and how can I grow in it? 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul said, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. I just think that's so interesting. I'm going to screw up a little bit here. I just think that's so interesting that the Apostle Paul talked to them about that. Test yourselves. Examine your faith. And maybe that's not words that we hear very often, you know. Even amongst each other, you know, we want to be super encouraging, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make anybody question themselves and question their faith or anything like that. You know, we don't want to judge each other, which is all good things, but there's got to be a time of, man, you know, maybe we need to look in the mirror and see where are we really spiritually. We say we are at a certain place, but how can we examine ourselves to know where we stand? Where is our faith? Really? You know, for the worldly person, they don't care about that. All they care about is this world and their life and their life being as good as it can possibly be with as little interruptions and, and uh, suffering and challenges as possible. And they could care less about the kingdom of God. They could care less about the Lord. They could care less about his salvation. They could care less about if the faith that they claim to have is real or not. They could care less. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I believe. I pray. I say my prayers. And they're fine with that. That's the worldly person. That's a religious person. They got some form of religion that checks the box for them. And that's all they need. I'm not interested in examining my heart and examining my my life and seeing how it stacks up against the word of God. But that's not us. That's not for the people of God. The people of God want to please God. And we know that the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or to have salvation. We, we have no hope of salvation without faith. So how important is it then to know that we have faith? That it's real. That it's not just some words that we said. And that's my message title to you guys today, is Genuine Faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Today, I want to encourage us to examine our faith, 
in God and nourish that faith so that it can grow. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And many of y'all have heard it more commonly, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In James 5.16 it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What makes a person righteous? Faith. The prayer of a person who has faith, you could say, has great power and produces wonderful results. And there's two things happening in those two scriptures that I want us to see, is that faith shows the reality or the substance of things that we hope for and evidence of things that we can't see. There's a tangible aspect to faith. There's an unseen aspect to it, and there's a seen. And the thing that connects the unseen to the seen is our faith. Okay? Because through faith, we are receiving hope from God. We're seeing something that can't be seen naturally yet from God, and then we're connecting to that, we're taking hold of that in the unseen. And then we're acting on it, and then God is accomplishing through our actions what he wants to accomplish in the world. And it's amazing, and it's producing wonderful results because who's doing it? God is, and he's awesome at doing it. He can do the most incredible things that your minds cannot think of. He can do those things that we can't even dream up. And so if we'll have genuine faith, we can see genuine results in our lives and in other people's lives. I want to show you all a couple photos here. This first photo, I want you all to tell me what it is. What is that? A cookie. It could be a Christmas cookie. What is it? A stone, a rock. Gold? Gold? Is it gold? Oh, a granola bar. It's a granola bar. I don't think it's a granola bar. Some, we got some hungry folks in the place this morning. They, they're seeing food. I see food. All right. Well, I think gold was a pretty good guess, but you would be wrong. Actually, what it is, believe it or not, is a lump of crystals. That, that's funny, I know, because it looks not crystals. It looks like metal. It looks like gold. Let's show this. Let's look at the second picture. Can we see the difference a little bit? On the right, we have what's called fool's gold. On the left, we have real gold. On the right, it's called pyrite, if I'm saying that correctly. And it's actually crystals. It's not even metal. It's very brittle. It's hard, but it's very brittle whereas gold is a metal, and it's very malleable. And obviously, the fool's gold or the pyrite is worthless, especially in comparison to the gold. And let's look at one more picture of those two. You see the difference there? Isn't it interesting how easy it is to tell once you know what gold looks like? And you know what's interesting about fool's gold is they called it fool's gold at the time when 
gold was heavily sought after, and there was a lot of gold being traded and things like that. They would call it fool's gold because they say that you would have to be a fool to think that was gold. You must not know what gold looks like if you think that's gold. That's how different they are. And you know what? It could fool me. You could give me a lump of fool's gold, and I would be fooled because I'm not used to seeing a lump of real gold. You know, but back then, when they weren't dealing with dollar bills and all this, they knew what real gold was like. But you were a fool if you thought that. If you got fooled by that, you deserved to be fooled by that. that. That's how they felt about that. I have an interesting story I want to share with you. I'm going to read it. On May 27, 1577, this is way back, Martin Frobisher set out to sea again, this time with an additional funding, ships and men. He reached Frobisher Bay on July 17th and spent several weeks collecting ore. He was directed by his commission to defer discovery of passage to another time and focus on gathering precious metals. So he was going for this discovery. He was doing all this, but then they came across this ore, and they started collecting it. And then it was like, you know what? Forget about the discovery. Just collect the precious metals. We're going to focus on that now. So Frobisher and his crew brought back 200 tons of what they believed to be gold back to England. England's queen, Queen Elizabeth I, had strong faith in the fertility of the new territory. She sent Frobisher back for a third voyage, this time on a much larger expedition. With 15 vessels and the necessities for establishing a 100-man colony, Frobisher set sail on June 3, 1578, and landed at Frobisher Bay in early July. He and his men failed to establish a settlement as a result of dissension and discontent, and they all returned to England with 1,350 tons of ore. Upon their return, it was discovered that the ore was actually iron pyrite and therefore worthless, although it was eventually used for road meddling. Since the ore has proved valueless, Frobisher's financing collapsed, and he was forced to seek other employment. So he went from top of the world, 15-ship fleet, heading out into the unknown, and it's all under his guidance and under his leadership, to unemployed, just like that. Because it wasn't gold. It was valueless. It, it looked like gold. It had... So many people fooled. Think of all the people that were fooled. And in the end, it was valueless. And immediately when I read that, it, it, it brought me to a scripture. It reminded me of a scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's what you would call fool's faith. We don't want to have fool's faith. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through this life thinking, Everything's gravy. My faith is good. Oh, I'm great spiritually. I haven't missed church in six months. I've read my Bible most of the times. I pray. You know, I do all the check all the boxes. 
you know, but then when, when on judgment day, when we stand before the Lord, what, what did we really have or produce that had eternal value to it, that, ex- that actually exists beyond this natural, dirt-constructed world that we live in? Even your human body is just dirt. And it goes right back to the dirt, where it came from. Will there be anything of real value, eternal value, from your life after that dirt pile is collected? Or will it have been proven to be valueless? You don't want to be the builder that suffers great loss. I don't want to be. And I, you know what? I don't want to be so much that if you notice something that might make my faith seem like it's fool's faith, I wouldn't mind if you would let me know. Raise a little flag. Lee, I don't think that's real faith. And I'll be like, you sure? <laughs> let me run some tests real quick. And that's what I want to talk to you all about right now. The first thing, before, I, before we go to the next slide, I want to talk about how do we examine our faith to see if it's genuine or if it's fool's faith. The first exam that we can do, this is the easy exam. Anybody can perform this exam, all right? Does anybody like easy exams? They're easy. C, 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 93, pass, we're going on, you know. I don't know what you really get if you put all C's, but maybe Rachel would know. She's a pro at school and testing and all that. Fool's gold is easy to tell, and that's why it's called fool's faith. Fool's faith, I'm sorry, fool's gold is easy to tell. That's why it's called fool's gold. Fool's faith can be easy to tell, too. 1 John 3, 8 through 10. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil on that cross. Those who have been born into into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously... Does not and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. It's pretty clear. It's pretty cut and dry. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into this sinning conversation, but the key word there is that these people who are not children of God, they have chosen to live a life that has sin built into it. It's in direct contradiction to to God, to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, and they're okay with that. They have chosen that this sin, it's not going anywhere. God, you can't touch it, and boy, if one of you people or Christians or pastors tries to touch it, I'll knock you out. I won't even say, I won't even warn you. I'll punch you, and I'll be out the door. You'll never see my face again. Don't you dare touch my sin. They're very protective over it. And they really don't like it when somebody points a finger at it or, or looks at it funny. You gotta watch out. So they are their own God. They have constructed a lifestyle, a set of moralities that says this sin is okay to be here. 
I'll do all the other things that you want me to do. We can worship, we can hold hands and sing kumbaya and all the, all the stuff, all the religious stuff. But this, in my worldview and the way I believe and the morality that I've constructed in my kingdom, this stuff is okay. That means they're not really a child of God. They're not really fully surrendered to the lamb that was slain for their sin that they want to keep. They've chosen that their sin is greater than what that cross represents. Their desires are greater than his desires. That's the opposite of may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering, starting with me. Have it all, Lord. And you know what? If there's even some gray areas around here somewhere, they can go too. I ain't even arguing the point. I'd rather, what the Bible says, I'd rather be above reproach. I'd rather be a shining example for all to see of what's right and what's wrong. I'd rather, the Bible says, to not even have the appearance of evil. There might be some things that technically would pass a test, but you know there's some appearance of evil there. I don't want that either. You can go too. Because may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering, starting with me. That's a child of God. That's genuine faith. And look, it doesn't mean you have to be on a ship going to an island of exile to bring the gospel to people, but you can still have genuine faith that in your own personal life, sin is not allowed. Sin is the reason that my Savior had to hang on that cross. And you know what? It offends me. Sin offends me because it killed my Savior. It separated me from my God who made me in his image, who formed me in my mother's womb, who knew me before I was in my mother's womb, who loved me enough to know my name, to know how many hairs are on my head, even not all the hairs that are supposed to be on your head. He knows how many are gone, how many used to be there. Sometimes it's easy to tell that genuine faith does not exist in a person. And this, listen, this isn't being judgmental. It's not that. We're not here to be anyone's judge. But you don't have to be a geologist to know that a piece of limestone is not a diamond. Right? It, I mean, it would just be silly. Like, if you had a piece of limestone, you're like, this, this isn't a diamond. This is ludicrous. Who gave me this and t- said this was a diamond? And they all, like, shout you down and say, you're not a geologist. Who are you to say that's not a diamond? I mean, uh, it's not a diamond. What do you want me to say? James 2.17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. It's fool's faith. Now, we're going to go into exam number two. Y'all ready for this? This one gets a little bit harder. So a lot of us fall off and we can't participate. The second exam is the medium exam. And the only two people that can run this exam is you and God. Nobody else. This is where we start to talk about don't judge others. And the measure that you judge others with is the measure you're going to be judged with. Free passes for everybody. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm being silly, but that's the kind of attitude you would want to have if that's true. If I'm going to be judged by the measure that I judge you with, free pass. You know what? That's between you and God. Free pass. <laughs> Unless it's a direct contradiction of the word of God, the easy test, where you have chosen to live sin, live in sin, and it's directly like black and white. I don't have to be a geologist to know that that's not faith. Sometimes it's not as easy to tell. And that's the exam we're talking about now, is when you're just looking at the outside. And the outside is kind of hard to tell when you're looking at the Word of God and what's right and what's wrong. Now it's starting to get into a realm of now it's just between you and God. And there's two parts that I want to break up this exam into. The first one is motives. Now what we're talking about is genuine faith. We're running tests on genuine faith and what's in a person's heart. What if the works on the outside look pretty good? Fool's faith can look like real faith on the outside, but on the inside, it's fake. There's, there's no real faith there. But it can look very similar on the outside. But what the problem is, is that there's other motivating factors that are driving that behavior. And it's not faith. It's not faith in God. It could be admiration that they seek from others. It could be selfish ambition that is being sought. And, and a whole slew of other reasons that people can be motivated to do good works that look like the good works that people do by faith. James 4.3 talks a little bit about the motives. He says, even when you ask, talking about prayer, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Talking about prayer. And, you know, a lot of people fall into this category. They prayed. They said, I prayed, and God didn't answer. Did they examine their hearts? Are their motives right? Or is it only to give them pleasure? Because that might be a reason that you don't get what you're asking for. The Bible makes it very clear to us. How about the examples of the religious leaders? They used to wear the robes and the tassels and the prayer boxes, and they'd stand out on the street corner and shout out their prayers for the whole community of Israel to hear. And they were nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. The outside of the cup was clean, but Jesus said the inside of the cup was filthy, like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, dead man's bones on the inside. That's a fool's faith. And you know what? They weren't fooling Jesus, but they could fool all these other people, the same kind of people that might be fooled by fool's gold. You weren't going to fool Jesus. You weren't going to even fool a spiritual person that had the spirit of the living God in them because they would know better. Like, yeah, this person's praying, but look at, look at them. It's obvious. But maybe somebody that doesn't have the spirit of God in them and don't have that discernment, they're clueless. They think they're a great person, very spiritual. Wow. How about when those guys would fast? The Bible says they would be all disheveled. Their hair would be all messed up. They'd look like they were homeless because they were fasting. And they, they, would gain, they would garner a lot of praise for that. Wow, he's been fasting for like 20 days. Look at him. He's so holy. He's so spiritual. 
man, if we could just be as religious as they. And Jesus said, don't do that. Fix your hair, wash yourself, clean yourself up. Don't put on a show because you're fasting. You're losing all the reward with your Father in heaven. Do these things in private. Do these things by faith in God. Do these things as unto the Lord, not to be admired by people. And you know what's funny about that? That's why every time I fast, I make sure that my hair is kept up very nicely. <laughs> I don't want to fall into that boat. I will not do it. My hair is going to be tip-top, clean all the time. It takes a lot of work. The only motivation that counts is faith in God. So let's look at a genuine faith example in the area of motivations. How about asking yourself some of these questions? If my actions would actually hurt my reputation, would I still do it? If it says unto the Lord, but it could make you look bad, it could give you a bad reputation at work as being like the religious nut, you know? If no one ever knew about it, would I still do it? That's a good question. If it's being done by faith, would I still do this if nobody ever knew? It could be giving, being generous to somebody, helping somebody, could be sharing the gospel. If I never got to see the results, would I still do it? Maybe it's just to see the results. But what if you don't ever get to see the results? But you still got to do it because it says unto the Lord and you know God wants you to do it. You know, the Hebrews chapter 11 is a must read after you hear this message. But these people demonstrated real, genuine, authentic faith. And that's one of the, that's one of the characteristics of what they did they never got to see what was promised. They never got to see what God had promised them. Abraham never got to see the generations that God promised him. The second part of this medium test after motivations or motives is the area of weakness. Momentary weakness or temptation, we can fall to that because we're weak. We're not perfect jesus living in this body, right? We don't have a perfect record of not sinning, not falling to temptation, not being having that type of weakness. So if you have a, a moment of weakness or, or you fall to temptation, does that mean that you have no genuine faith in Christ? Not necessarily. 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So a faith, a heart check, a little exam for yourself, in this case, that could help, could be like this. What if I had no weakness and I could just snap my fingers and do it the way I would do it? No doubt. Would I still do that sin? Would I still struggle with that sin? Would that still be built into part of my life? Or it would be like, never again. I would never do that again, ever. But in that moment of weakness, 
And in that temptation, you fell to it. Maybe again, and then again, and then again. The good news there is that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, that we can go to, that pleads our case before the Father. Lord, they're weak, but you know what? They're in me. Their whole trust and hope and faith is in my work on that cross for their righteousness. And they're doing everything they can, maybe most days, maybe Sundays, whatever. Let Jesus figure that one out. But our part to play in that is not accepting that in our life. It is not acceptable. There's never a time where we're like, you know what? I'm done trying to beat this thing, and it's going to come sit here right next to me forever. Like it or not, you, 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 God, you, I'm keeping it. That's not where you want to be. And only God and only that person can decipher the difference there. You could look at one person who struggles with a sin as a believer, and God knows they're golden, and I'm working with them. And you ain't got nothing to worry about with them. You let me manage them. They're mine. And then there's the other one who's like, oh, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And Jesus knows, and that person hopefully knows, they, don't, they could care less if they sin like this for the rest of their life. They have no remorse. There's no godly sorrow, and there's no repentance. But they sit on the same row next to each other, maybe doing the same sin. One is repentant and seeking the Lord, has genuine faith, and the other one has fool's faith, and might have everyone around them fooled with their worldly sorrow. Maybe they're suffering some consequences because of their sin in this life, and they look sorry. They're crying at the altar. Wow, they look sorry. Wow, they look like they're repenting. But they really just wish that these problems would leave their life, and God would just save them out of it. But they really don't have any plans or intentions of obeying God. They're going to hold on to that thing. And God is the one that can decipher that. That's when you and I, we stay out of that. That's between you and the Lord. You know the truth. If you don't know, we'll help uh, educate you of the truth. But then it's between you and God to have your, you have to take hold of the genuine faith that God has given you the ability to have. God, the Bible says that God gives all people a measure of faith. you got to take that measure of faith and instead of putting it in all this other crazy stuff that this world has to offer, you've got to put it in God. You have to put it in that cross. And that's your responsibility, and that's my responsibility. And then that stays between them and God. Genuine faith is not okay staying in that weak place. Genuine faith wants to grow out of that. Because may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering... And that's no kind of reward I want to bring to the lamb that was slain. I want to bring him some good stuff. I don't know about y'all. I don't want to bring a bunch of bad stuff that he had to die for. I want to bring him a bunch of good stuff. And we're going to talk about that. Like, like the man, last thing I'll say about that, the man who was so honest to Jesus, it was beautiful. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's unbelief there. I'm weak. Help me where I'm weak. I need your strength where I'm weak. That's a good place to be. When you're weak, admit it. Right. Repent. Ask him to help you. Right. And he will. He will. He will do that because it's his will for you to grow. 
and to be a light to others. He wants you to be a shining light to others. Now, the last exam, this is the big boy. None of us can do this one. We're all unqualified. The hard exam is the one that only God can perform. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul, who we would say is one of the most righteous people that ever walked the earth. He said, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that does not prove that I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. That's either really good news or really bad news. Like, you know my deepest, darkest secrets. You know my whole life. You know the way I work. You know the way my mind works. You know the way I'm wired. You know the strength of the urges that I deal with. You know the level of faith that I'm exercising. I can't figure it out. It's too deep. It's too endless for me to even try to figure it out. But thank you, Jesus, in your mercy and your grace. You love me so much that you went to that cross for me. I know you're not just going to throw me out like a bad habit. And if I could just come to you with a pure heart, Lord, help me. Help me in my unbelief. Help me be what you want me to be. Call me out if I'm not right, please. Pastor David, call me out if I'm not right. I want to be right. That's a good place to be. And you know what's beautiful about that is God wants you to be right too. He's not in the business of tricking people. He's not in the business of saying, ha-ha, fooled you. I left you to think you had faith that whole time, but you didn't. It was fool's face, gotcha. That's not the Lord. If you're walking in fool's faith, but you have a genuine desire to have real faith, genuine faith, God is ready to help you have that. He's ready to help you walk into that, to grow in that. He's ready to encourage you when you really have it and you didn't know you had it. How cool is that? That's the comforting place to be. The other side of it is I got everybody fooled because I'm the greatest actor ever. And I even got myself fooled. I think I'm so awesome and spiritual. Look at my life. I mean, just look at it, would you? Just take a look. I mean, that is a scary place to be for someone who has spiritual pride, and they think they are so good. They got the whole Bible understood. And if anybody disagrees with them, blasphemy. Away with them. Y'all stay over there. We got it figured out. I would not want to be that guy who is so confident. The Apostle Paul wasn't confident. He was confident in Jesus. But he wasn't confident in his own knowledge, his own discernment, his own actions, his own anything. He's like, I don't even trust my own judgment on this. The Apostle Paul, how much less I feel like we should be trusting in our own judgments. Unless it's black and white, like this is definitely not a diamond. It's a limestone. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, unless it's so obvious, it's like God gave me basic discernment skills for that. So I can know what to do, what not to do. But then sometimes where it gets so fuzzy, and you know, should I have said that? Did I say too much? Was I too hard on them? Did I go too far this way or that way? Did I give a bad example of? Should I, is it okay to watch this, do that? Or maybe I shouldn't do that? Like, don't walk on eggshells. The Apostle Paul wasn't walking on eggshells. When he said that, he had full confidence in Jesus Christ. He, he walked with a clean, a clean conscience, and the rest of it, he trusted in the Lord's hands. And that's how we should be. We should be free. We shouldn't be sitting there anxious over every decision, over every action, every word that comes out. Did I say to him? It will wear you out. And honestly, it's a trap. The devil wants you walking in works. He wants you trying to put on a perfect show for the whole world to see. And God could care less about that. He knows you're not perfect anyway. He knows all your deepest, darkest secrets. So why are you trying to be perfect now? You might as well just be you and trust him. Wouldn't that be way much better? Then you can run. And you're not like, oh, 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 oh. Man, go have some fun, man. Let me go do something for the Lord. Let me go do something. Even if it's wrong, God will fix me. He'll get me on the right course. All right? The fact that God ultimately knows where we stand can bring us great comfort or great terror, and you want to be on the comfort side. And this is what I want to uh, encourage us with as I, as I begin to close here. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 9. He can actually show us, because he knows how to run these kinds of exams. Remember how I said he can maybe encourage you that you had genuine faith you didn't know you had? He can show you that if he wants to. And one of the ways is right here in 1 Peter 5 through 9. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation. That's your saving faith. That's the faith that says, my trust is in the Lord. I want to do right. I'm trying. But ultimately, my hope is in that cross. That saves you, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So you could think little of yourself, which is probably a really good place to be. And then through some trials in your life, and you're enduring through those trials, you end up getting a lot of praise. And, and the Lord shows you, look how much faith you had. Look at all the work that I have accomplished in your life. And then all these other people get to see that. And there's a reason for that. 
Because God isn't just in the business of you and him. He's in the business of you and him for them. So what he's doing in your life is to affect someone else's life. And I have a great example of this for you guys. How about our buddy Job? You know Job is the oldest written book in the Bible. And I think there's a reason for that. It's like his life and that example was for all of mankind. Didn't matter what time period you were born in. Even if you were Isaiah, right in the book of Isaiah, you had Job as an example. How about the outside, Job? He was a righteous man. God bragged on Job to the devil who said, Have you seen my servant Job? He is the most blameless man in all the world. And of course, the devil hates that, and he hates Job, and he hates everybody. And he says, yeah, but you, you bless him so much. That's why he's so righteous. If you took some of those blessings away, he would curse you to your face. He's basically saying, Job has fool's faith. That's not real. God's sitting there saying, look, there's a human being that has genuine faith in the earth. And the devil's saying, no. Genuine faith does not exist in the earth, and nobody cares about you, and they're not, they're not real. And I'll expose Job in that fool's faith. And what does God say? Go ahead. Boy, was that a mistake. That whole plan totally backfired on the devil because not only did Job really have that faith, but the trials that he endured showed how great that faith really was. Like, oh my goodness. And now, to all of mankind, we have an example that genuine faith is real, that genuine faith can be attained, that we can walk in genuine faith, and that God can get us through anything if we'll just trust in Him. The whole earth has that example. Boy, did that backfire on the devil, huh? Because listen, talk is cheap, words fade away, but those examples, they never fade away. And God likes to do things and give us examples. And I love that. Because he wants us to get it, and it helps when we can see it. Show it, show it to me, Lord. Don't just tell me about it. Show me what this looks like. And God has done that for us. For the person with genuine faith, we can actually rejoice at trials because they're an opportunity to see how genuine our faith really is. Nobody's choosing trials. And if you're in a trial, if you don't have faith, it's probably going to be exposed. And that's not all bad because then we can be taught or shown that how little our faith is. Like, wow, I should have never... I should have never acted like that in that situation. Where, and where is my faith that I thought I had? Lord, help me. That's where the genuine faith comes in, no matter how big or small it is. Lord, help me to grow. I don't want to be like that anymore. Like, you really showed me where I am, and I don't like that. Help me to grow so that next time I'm in a situation like that, I can show genuine faith and not some fool's faith. And, and that's, it's because it matters to us. And most importantly, like I said, it's so that we can have an example and be an inspiration to others. 
That's, that's a great, great opportunity. The, 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 the man Job had a great opportunity to be Job that we know Job as. He didn't know that. Maybe if he knew that, it would have made his suffering a lot easier. But then there's some ulterior motives there because now he's seeking the praise of man. But what, what was he really motivated by when, when his wife was like, you just should just curse God and die. And he said what to her? You, you talk like a foolish woman. Are we only to accept good things from God and not the bad? And he never cursed God, and he stayed to praise the name of the Lord and to trust him. What a wonderful opportunity to be that kind of example to all of mankind. And that's the kind of opportunity that we have if we'll just have that genuine faith and endure through some hard times sometimes. As I close, I want to read Matthew 13, 31 through 32. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make its nest in their branches. Make nests in its branches. Genuine faith has a tendency of taking over. The kingdom of God, though it starts off small in a person's heart when they realize, man, I'm a sinner, but, and I deserve hell, but it doesn't have to be that way because God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me. Wow. I want that. And they take that little seed of faith or they take their faith and they, and they just plant that little seed of faith in the kingdom of God. And in that little moment, that little moment of faith in the king of glory saves their soul for eternity, washes away all their sin, gives them a brand new life. But that same power that could save that person's soul immediately it has a way of consuming us. It will consume you if you let it. It doesn't want to stay in a little box. It's not like, okay, I got my mustard seed of faith and then I got born again. Now let's go put that on a shelf somewhere where it'll be nice and safe and we don't have to do anything else that might require more faith. That's not the kingdom of God. And honestly, if that's how you treat your salvation, and if that's how you treat the Lamb of God that was slain for your sin, I would challenge you in your faith. I would challenge you how genuine is your faith. Or is it a little, a little fool's faith there to think that we can receive such a great sacrifice for what we did? I mean, you were on death row, and you earned it. And there was no way out. Nobody was coming to your aid, or could. And then at the last second, Jesus stepped in and took your sins. That will change you if you believe it. I'm just saying. I'm not being critical. 
I know it, everybody's at different levels of faith, but a genuine faith in that truth, it'll grow inside of you. It'll, it'll say, it'll grow to the point where maybe like these Moravian missionaries, we've, we've sold out. We don't even know what's on this island that we're going to. We might die the second we get there. But may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. First, we want to stop sinning. It's offensive. Get rid of that. Then we want to start doing good. We want to start building up. We don't want to be tearing down with sin. So we want to start building up and doing good works for the kingdom of God. Then we need to start trusting in God because it's hard sometimes and it doesn't always feel great and we don't always feel like God's right by our side. So we got to start exercising faith and trusting God. And then maybe we start stepping out on a limb and we start doing some kind of crazy stuff for God, things that we wouldn't normally, normally naturally do. And then we're not satisfied when our faith is exposed as being weak or non-existent. We want to we grow where we've fallen short. And then we want to commit to helping others to stand strong in their faith. And this kingdom, man, it, it keeps growing, it keeps growing. Then we want to see God do miraculous things day out and day in in our life and around us and other people's lives. And then we're daily eagerly seeking God's presence in our life, His will in every situation of our life. Genuine faith wants God. Genuine faith doesn't want this world in the sin that it has to offer. Genuine faith loves God and all of His people, all of them, no matter how wicked they are. Genuine faith wants to help rescue people who are condemned to hell. Genuine faith wants to give back. God, you saved my soul. What can I do in return? That's genuine faith. That's a genuine faith in the Lord. And we need to examine our hearts. We need to take a pause at times when our actions aren't lining up, when our words aren't lining up. You know, when we're starting to display out-of-character things, we need to take a pause and examine. When the Word of God is preached, we need to examine. That's an opportunity. Man, Lord, I'm here. You got me here. This word is being preached. What do you want me to know? Where can I grow from this? Y'all can bow your heads with me this morning.